What's up, folks? Welcome to another week's Red Black Wrestling Show. Since your and Mike Marlowe on the line. Man, just uh, we're gonna start from the Bill Maher now. Dude. It's just for those, especially for all of our supporters, especially on on Patreon. This we start sending them the bonus material, the the pre pre show or after show recordings. All <laughs> right. This is like a lot of good material, man. So well, yeah, you know, you know, you, you know, you have a good guest when you talk to him or her for an hour before you start recording. Exactly. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when you realize, like, wow, wait a minute, we didn't even start the show yet. <laughs> a lot of good stuff, man. <laughs> yeah, so we're gonna get to him in a second. Just want to remind everyone you can support the show using that coupon code LLA. Go over to MikeMahler.com, get ten percent off everything you see over there. Just remember to put that coupon code in LLA. And how about with you, man? Same thing. Go over to NewWarriorTraining.com, use that same coupon code, 10% off everything over there, as well as heading over to Patreon.com slash LLA Podcast. You become a monthly supporter of the show. We truly appreciate that. And all of our Patreon supporters out there, we appreciate each and every one of you, as well as our customers who've gone to our website and purchased our products. A lot of times, it's pretty much they're doing both. They're going to Patreon and they're supporting both of our websites at the same time and our products over there. So thank you guys. I mean, that's really helping helping us with the show. We appreciate that. Yeah, and just a few shout-outs here. We've got who've been using that coupon code. we got Jordan Kramer. we got Arthur Germain, Frank Torelli, Jacob Mays, William Garcia, Miguel Perez, Tyler Mack, Benny Acosta, Nick Farina, and Jason Foster. Every time I see Benny's name, I want to yell out, Benny! <laughs> you know? Like, like uh, that uh, movie Total Recall, oh, yeah. where, uh, where Schwarzenegger and that guy Benny screwed him over. He takes that big drill. He's like, hey, Benny, screw you! <laughs> That's, that movie is highly quotable for all the wrong reasons, right? It's, like you're, it's highly quotable making fun of the movie. Not because they're great lines, like lines in the movie Heat, one of my all-time favorites. Yeah. <laughs> so, hey, man, we got a great guest. Uh, anyway, sorry, sincere. You oh, no, go ahead. Okay. So, anyway, man, we've had we've been talking to this guy for about an hour before we started mm-hmm. recording today. Huge fan of his work. He wrote for Iron Man magazine for many years, thousands of articles out there, legit experts. One thing about our show is we're not bringing in flavor of the month experts that are YouTube sensations. We're bringing in well-established experts with great information. And Jerry Branham is no exception. He's an incredible resource, and his website is AppliedMetabolics.com. So make sure you go check it out. I'm actually a subscriber to his newsletter, and I, I rarely ever subscribe to anything because, as we all know, most of the time you're paying for garbage that you can find anywhere on the Internet for free. But with Jerry's stuff, it's only $10 a month. There's so much information on there, you, could, you would spend years going through all of it. The last thing you're going to complain about is lack of information on there. In fact, Jerry was saying that people are saying it's overwhelming. There's so much good information on there. How am I going to get through this? But that's what you want to see when you're paying for information. The last thing you want is paying $10 a month, and then you go through everything that's on there in a couple of weeks. <laughs> Why do you keep paying it? So anyway, we'll talk to him about that and supplements and a variety of things. Jerry, how are you doing today, man? How are you, Mike? Doing great. We feel like we've known each other for a long time after that hour discussion we had <laughs> before recording today. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it was great. Well, hey, man, I wanted to hit it. I wanted to start the discussion, and we'll just go off on whatever tangent comes up with different supplement categories. Okay. And one I'm really fascinated by is nootropics. And I know you have a great YouTube clip on this, and you have great information on your website as well. But I'm curious what nootropics you think are effective. And we can talk about over-the-counter and even prescription ones too. Okay. Well, uh, it depends on, on you know, the nootropics. There's like different categories uh, of them. Uh, right. There are some that, for example, supposedly stimulate memory and learning. 
And there are others that kind of like sharpen your thinking abilities, cognitive abilities. Right. Uh, in the latter category, as far as cognitive abilities, uh, I would say probably the king is modafinil. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's very popular among supposedly stockbrokers and, oh, yeah. and people that kind of need to, to think on their feet. Uh, some people add in Adderall. Which have, is, have you ever used modafinil, Jerry? Actually, you know, it's funny that you say that because uh, I when I when I uh, did the research years. Uh, well, actually, when for that video, I, I, re I researched uh, just to get up to date. I, I, yeah. I looked at the latest research and uh, I came across some fairly good stuff on modafinil and I got a prescription for it. And I said, well, you know what? This is going to help my writing because, I, you know, sometimes I'll write for hours and hours. And, and uh, you know, it, it's hard to maintain a focus yeah. if you've been writing for like six hours or more. It's it's tough, you know. No I said, based on what I read, this stuff's going to be really useful for me. So I bought this bottle and uh, I'll, I'll cut to the chase. I've never opened it. I mean, it's still sitting on my desk. Why? Because I came across a subsequent report. And this might interest you. Uh, this relates to the so-called uh, uh, brain sharpening stuff like modafinil and Adderall. Get this, guys. This is going to like shock you. If your brain is already operating on maximum efficiency and your creativity is high and you take this stuff, it actually can mess you up where you start to like sputter like a car on bad gas. You know what I mean? <laughs> In other words, it's, it works best if you're having trouble focusing and concentrating or if you're what they call a low-level thinker, which is a kind of politically correct term of saying that you're an idiot. In other words, uh, if you're kind of on the dumb side and, you know, you, you have trouble like putting things together, if you take something like modafinil, it will actually make you a little bit more aware where it makes you more cognizant, able to learn things a little bit better. I shouldn't call him an idiot. Let's say you're you're not really thinking maximally. Let me let me rephrase. Yeah, that. I must be pretty dumb because I've gotten pretty good results. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> same here. I shouldn't have used the word dumb because. No, no, it's fine. You know, man. I'm no, fine. No, no. I'm just what, I, what I meant to say was, you know, what I meant to say was that was again that was an impulsive remark on my part. No, I, no, it's funny, man. I retract that. But it's the, not. It's not. It wasn't like that movie with uh, Bradley Cooper, Limitless. Limitless. Yeah, it wasn't like that. But I've taken well, it. Before, I've, I've taken it before. I've taught courses where, especially uh, overseas, where I've, I'm jet lagged and my sleep oh, yeah. before is not that great. And what I find is I'm just really sharp. Economy of language. I'm not blabbering on. Less words to get to my point, and then just recall and delivery is is way faster. And I've used it before writing as well, and it really allowed me to stay in the zone and finish wherever I'm working on. I use it extremely infrequently. Yeah. Like I got a prescription as well, and I think I got 30 tablets in. That was years ago, and I still have most of them. So well, it's, not, it's not something I would use every day. And, and I, I think if you did use it for, let, let's say, a couple weeks straight, I think effect, yeah. yeah, there would be some, some negatives for sure when you go off. Well, you hit well, you hit the nail right on the head, the proverbial nail on the head, because that's exactly what it's good for. If you're under conditions such as jet lag or not enough sleep, where you're basically not mentally 100%, modafinil could be a great asset. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. But I mean, if, for example, everything's cool, you know, you're, you had enough sleep and your brain is at maximum efficiency, there's a danger that it, it, it's almost like uh, it's almost like uh, adding a, uh, a fuel mixture to a already optimal fuel mixture, adding another source of fuel that would kind of interfere with the performance of the first fuel mixture. Right, That's right. the way modafinil could work with some people. Mm -hmm. That's the danger involved. And the second part is also you kind of like touched on that. 
is no one knows what happens when you use this consistently all the time. Right. And, and uh, I think uh, Sincere just pointed out, which I agree with, there's something in, in uh, when you're dealing with pharmaceuticals called tachyphylaxis, which means there's a certain point where the drug just doesn't work af- after a while or it doesn't work as well. Right. This, this even happens, it's well known, any bodybuilder or powerlifter will tell you that you know steroids always work the, the best the first time you use them. Right. As you continue to use them, it's not that they don't work, but the effect is not as dramatic as the years go by. Right. And in some cases, I've actually come across a couple of pro bodybuilders where the drugs didn't work at all. Mm. They didn't harden up like they used to. They didn't get the look they used to. It's not that the drugs weren't working. Their body just wasn't reacting to it the same way. And that this, just androgen receptors were just exactly. worn out. Yeah, they're not right. picking but it There's up. a number of reasons why, but the point is that you know this can happen with, with just about any drug. It probably happens with modafinil. Uh, now, now, the other category... It's like it happens with everything, right? If you do the same workout for too long, you get diminished returns. Right. Yeah, you do the same routine of anything. And you don't, you're not going to... The reaction is just like what you know, Jerry was talking about with the steroids. Like, what do they do instead of realizing, like, okay, it's, yeah, it's never as good as the first time. What do they do? Let me double up. Let me do more. Let me <laughs> right, not cycle right. off. You know, it's kind of right. like a drug user. It's like a cocaine user. Like, I'm pretty sure... I've never done coke, but I'm pretty sure the second high is never like the first. And they're right. constantly trying, spend years trying to recreate... Recreate that first time they ever got That's high right. off coke, and they'll never. It's just kind of like relationships, a bad relationship. It's just like you know, we keep going back to each other, you know, because you know. You know, that's all I know. But like, dude, it's never going to be as good as the first time. You after you broke up for a reason, okay? So, or sincere, people, sincere always brings up relationship analysis. Because you know why? Jerry. Most of my listeners can relate to that. <laughs> you know, I'm like, okay, I get that. I understand. It's that. kind of like that first chick you had sex with. You know, <laughs> no, but actually, it's it's a valid analogy he's bringing up. Yeah, I, yeah. I I totally agree with that because that's the way. Again, that's the way most drugs are. I mean, they, right. they there's a there's a wearing off process, and as you point out, see the body always tries to maintain what they call homeostasis. In other words, it adopts to something, and after a while, it just, nothing happens, and the only way you're going to change something, well, you literally have to change something, or you have to prod it. In the the, uh, sense of working out, you have to change your workout, change the style of training, change the intensity level. If you do the same thing all the time, we all know this, if you do the same exercise, the same reps, the same weight, nothing's going to change. You might be able to maintain what you have, but as far as gains, nothing. Nothing's going to happen unless you prod your body. And and as Sincere just pointed out, <clears throat> the steroid users make the mistake of thinking, well, you know, if I'm taking three drugs and I'm taking so-and-so milligrams, if I triple the milligram amount and I take add three extra drugs, I should get twice as big. But that's not the way <laughs> the body works. There's a limit to how much the body – all you're doing there – is increasing the chances of serious side effects. Yeah. It's like shooting yourself in the foot. You're not going to make yourself any bigger, but you're greatly, greatly increasing the risk of serious health issues. I think I think you have to have a lot of discipline with something like modifinal. It's not something I would recommend to most people, especially people with addictive personalities, because it will allow you to not improve your lifestyle and rely on it. And right. So, so instead of improving your nutrition, your sleep, and so forth, you're going, man, I can just sleep three hours a night and have a crappy diet and pop one of these and still be productive. That, that's a very good – well, you know, you know, the drug is actually used to treat something called uh, narcolepsy. Yeah, that's right, yeah, narcolepsy. Exactly. Uh, you know, which is basically where you just fall asleep. Uh, you, you could be driving a car and suddenly you nod off and you crash. <laughs> right. right. You know, this is – and it was also uh, developed – there was a side reason for it. It was actually also partially developed – 
for the military. They That's want, right. uh, for example, uh, jet pilots, pilots, yeah. pilots, they want yeah. to keep them awake and maximum alertness. Obviously, it's important for them. Uh, and, you know, Mike, you hit a perfect point, which is, you know, if you're going to use it, have the discipline to use it very selectively. Yes, the drug is very effective for the purposes that you discussed. When your mind's a little bit off, when you haven't had enough sleep, when you're suffering jet lag or whatever, that's when you use it. Don't take it like a vitamin routinely every day. Don't take it to wake you up in the morning. Right. Stick with coffee. Caffeine, you can do that with. Modafinil, you can't. That's right. the bottom line. And like I say, it does work. But, you know, getting back to the thing, the other, the other categories would be the, the learning and memory stuff. Now, mm -hmm. I should point out that you got to separate them because modafinil and Adderall, they're brain stimulants. They're not really learning tools and memory tools. They're to sharpen your brain, make you more alert. Now, so that, you know, a lot of people think that they're going to make you smarter, like that movie. What's that movie you mentioned? Uh, Limit yeah, Limit Limitless. Yeah. I almost called it Clueless, but that would be before it slip. The thing is, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of people, you know, hear about the stockbroker, and some of these people making a lot of money, you know, relying on Modafin or whatever, and they think, well, that's why they're making so much money because this stuff is making them so sharp, so intelligent, and they see that movie and they think that it's real life. Right. Unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. No. It no, will, no, it will make a sharp person sharper if the need arises. Like if the person is a little bit off, like I say, you know, it'll make you max, it'll maximize your thinking ability for that amount of time, but it's not going to make a person who's not sharp into a genius. That's where the misconception comes in. No doubt. Now, the other drugs, the so-called cognitive enhancers, that those drugs are touted to actually increase memory intelligence. The question is, do they really do this? Uh, a couple of names now. The, the racetams are a perfect example. You've heard of paracetam. Oh, yeah. uh, you've heard of these, some of these drugs. Yeah, I've used, I've used all those racetams at right, one now, point or another. Yeah. Now, the, now, paracetam was the original smart drug. That dates yep. back to the early 60s, I believe. In fact, the word nootropic was developed based on, on paracetam. You know, the nootropic basically means the development of new neurons. Right. Which is a mis, that right there is a misnomer mm -hmm. because, you know, if you apply the word nootropic to these drugs, you're, you're implying that they will develop new neurons in the brain, but they don't work like that. Right. In other words, again, what they're doing is working within your own brain mechanisms to maximize what's already there. And that's the, uh, there's a kind of like carryover with the other drugs, the stimulants, in the sense that, let's say certain neurotransmitters of your brain are not working at maximum efficiency. Some of them do relate to intelligence. For example, dopamine and norepinephrine <clears throat> stimulate parts of your brain that have to do with mental drive and learning. And then you have acetylcholine, which is in the hippocampus. That's the part of the brain considered the seat of learning and memory. If you're low in any of these neurotransmitters, uh, for some reason or other, you know, and you take, let's say, paracetam or other uh, uh, nootropics that stimulate the increase of these uh, of these particular neurotransmitters, you're going to get an effect. On the other hand, if your neurotransmitters are already balanced, which is the way they are in most people, because your brain is acutely sensitive to this stuff. It can sense when a neurotransmitter is low and it tries to do things to constantly balance it out. Otherwise, we'd all slip into mental illness very rapidly. So your brain is very good. It's almost like, a, well, it is a computer. It's like a natural computer. Mm -hmm. it, it knows how to self-balance. But there are occasions, again, it could be due to poor diet, lack of sleep, overtraining, whatever, stress, 
the, where you could temporarily throw these things out, out of balance. If you take something like paracetam or one of the nootropics, some of the nootropics are, have less edge than others. In other words, they, they, uh, they, they have less chance of side effects is the best way to put it. You know, it will balance it out. And again, you, you will find that your, your thinking might be a little bit clearer. And if you are involved in some intensive learning activity, for example, if you're a student trying to cram for a test or you're, you're studying research like I do, where you have to like memorize a lot of stuff, or if you're an actor learning lines, yeah. it will probably make a difference in that situation. <clears throat> but now let's look at it from the other point of view of the abnormal brain. Let's say you're in the early stages of a cognitive deficit, what they call minimum cognitive disorder, which affects a lot of people over 40. This is what they call the uh, senior moments Mm -hmm. where you have these memory lapses, right? In that situation, there's uh, it's not that you're having brain damage, but basically your brain is aging. That's all it it means. It doesn't mean you're going to get Alzheimer's or any kind of dementia. Now, if you give, and this is what they've shown in studies, if you supply these nootropics like Prestem, the Racetem, if you give them to somebody with that, it only works about 20% of the time. Nobody knows why, but it doesn't work all the time. 80% it does absolutely nothing for. If you give those drugs, again, you know, you look at full-fledged dementia, where there's a complete block of learning and memory, you know, a complete deficit. If you give these drugs to somebody who already has, let's say, stage 2 Alzheimer's, they don't do anything at all. Yeah. Nothing. Absolutely. So in other words, if the brain structures that produce neurotransmitters are already damaged, it's like, you know, trying to, you know, knock on the door where you're not getting any answer. Yeah. With straw. That's the best way to put it. So again, it depends on the situation. They're very, I would, you know, categorize nootropics as situational. Yeah. So it's depending on the situation. They could be very useful. One of these days, I'm going to try modafinil. I haven't done it yet, quite honestly, but I'm going to wait until exactly what you pointed out, Mike. If I'm over- well, I, I do like it because it doesn't affect sleep negatively either. Right. So you could pop one in the afternoon, get whatever you need to get done, and you're not going to be all wired at night the way you right. would be if you had too much caffeine, for example. Right, right. Well, there's an antidote to that. We could talk about in a minute as far as the caffeine goes. Uh, well, I, oh, would, I, would that be theanine for caffeine? Yeah, was, yeah. Hit it yeah. right to the head. I was just going to slip into it, but uh, I think I pointed that out in my video when I did the video on nootropics. Yeah, one of the best natural nootropics, and this has been shown in actual studies, is a combination of caffeine and theanine. Mm-hmm. It actually works. It works for just about anyone. Mm. Now, now here's the thing: we all know. I mean, it's no secret that caffeine is a brain stimulant, right? Now, the problem with caffeine is that in a certain number of people, it overstimulates where they get jitters and all this kind of stuff. And when you when you get overstimulated, instead of thinking clearly, you, again, your brain starts to skip. You can't focus. Right. So, so you need something that's going to balance the caffeine. This is where theanine comes in. Theanine, for those that don't know, is a natural amino acid. L-theanine is the full name. It's found naturally in tea, mainly uh, it's in green tea and black tea. But it's 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 main, mainly found in tea. It's found in a couple other things, but it has this unique effect in the brain. It stimulates what they call brain alpha waves. Now, what does this mean? The alpha waves are measured on what they call an elect uh, a, 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 a electroencephalograph. It measures brain waves. What are alpha waves? Alpha waves are associated with calm uh, uh, thinking. Uh, basically, you're relaxed. But here's the key. 
It's not like a a, uh, a drug where it's going to relax you and kind of knock you out and make you stupid. You know, in other words, it doesn't work like that. All it does is kind of relax you. And, and, and in doing so, it kind of opens the door for clearer thinking. Theanine itself, without the caffeine, has been shown in studies done in Japan to actually increase intelligence by itself because of the way it, it kind of calms the brain down and makes the brain work more efficiently. However, if you combine it with caffeine, you're getting the, the benefit of both substances. And in addition, the theanine is taking the edge off the caffeine. So now you're getting all the brain stimulation effects of the caffeine without any of the edge. And I've recommended this combination to guys that want to use caffeine for, let's say, mental alertness, but they have problems with caffeine. When I told them to add the theanine, so far the feedback has been about 99% positive where they told me it worked. About uh, 100 milligrams, 200 milligrams? What do you think is the right dose? Exactly. One to 200 milligrams of uh, theanine. And if you're using the caffeine for mental alertness purposes, you probably want to go with about uh, 300 to 400 milligrams minimal mm-hmm. for uh, thinking purposes, uh, you know, which would be could about. You, could, you, could you just drink green tea or black tea since that already has theanine in it, or is it not enough theanine? Yeah. Actually, you'd have to drink quite a few cups of that stuff, and then you get into. And then you get the caffeine, more caffeine. <laughs> yeah, right. So the ratio is not. Is it's not, not just the caffeine, but large amounts <laughs> of green tea. <laughs> actually interfere with thyroid function and so you don't want to take in massive amounts what, what would be considered large amounts uh it would be 10 cups or more okay that's a lot okay. <laughs> yeah i'm, I'm drinking I'm water too, I'm not, so I'm not not <laughs> yeah, and also and, and another problem with taking uh, large amounts of green tea whether it's in capsule or in actual green tea liquid is the fact that the the uh if you look at the the main ingredient the active ingredient it's a polyphenol it's classified called egcg and it's very potent, but there's a, re- a weird effect in a certain uh, number of people. It doesn't happen in everybody. Uh, it has a, a reverse effect in the liver. It actually turns into what they call a prooxidant instead of an anti. See, normally EGCG is a very potent antioxidant. It does a, mu- a number of things. I mean, it, it, green tea, I, I can do a whole show on just green tea. I won't go into it. But let me put it this way. In, the, in some people, for some unknown reason, it has to do with some sort of gene mutation, when they take in even normal amounts of, of green, let's say green tea capsules, mm. it acts as a prooxidant in the liver and it can, can cause liver damage to the point where some people have had to have, this is scary, have had to have a liver transplant. Wow, wow. So the problem, and this is to me is kind of a big problem, is you don't know you're one of those people yeah. until it happens. This but is my, a problem with the capsules or could this happen with this just drinking no, a, green tea? Mainly with the capsule. So it has to be concentrated amounts of that. Exactly. Yeah. You hit it right on the head. It has yeah. to be con- – it kind of reminds me. You guys remember a basketball player year? I think his name was Len Bias. Len Bias. You remember Len Bias? Now, that, Len that, Bias – That is my go-to for never doing drugs and never okay. doing coke. <laughs> <laughs> you know, since 1988, 89 in high school, I was like, that is my go-to. That's my just say no from different strokes. Sincere, you obviously know the story, but let me repeat it for those that don't know. Since uh, uh, this guy, Len, was a great basketball player, tremendous potential, he was sitting around with a group of friends and they were doing some coke. No problem. They were snorting it. They weren't doing crack. They weren't injecting it. Everything was going fine. Two hours later, I think it was about two, two and a half hours later, Len Bias died. I mean, he just, his heart stopped. It turns out what they found out was that Len Bias had this rare genetic defect where there was a certain enzyme in the liver that normally breaks down cocaine, 
he, because of a genetic defect, lacked this enzyme. So as he continued to snort the cocaine, it built up after about two hours to an amount toxic enough to turn off his heart. Young man in otherwise fantastic shape died. Yep. And this is the scary thing about some things. And, 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 you know, in my articles, I've also implied that this can happen with steroids. In other words, I'm not going to go into one of these things about steroids is going to kill you. I mean, we all know this. God knows how many people, even the, the pro buyer would have taken massive amounts of steroids. None of them are dropping out like flies yet. Right. If you look at the medical journals like I do all the time, you do find occasional case studies of young men in otherwise tremendous health in great shape who had complications. It wasn't a, a direct cause and effect, but the steroids were implicated in their deaths. And nobody really knows why. Like for some, some of them, for example, had heart attacks. Some of them had strokes. And, you know, the doctors who wrote this up said, well, we can't say it's directly because of the steroids, but we found no other risk factors. So the steroids must be involved. That's the way they usually end the reports. Right, right. The way I interpret that is these guys that were affected that badly by steroids had genetic defects that they were not aware of, which which the steroids basically turned on and proved fatal in their case. Mm -hmm. To me, in my mind, that is the most dangerous aspect of steroids or growth. For example, growth hormone. Growth hormone stimulates another hormone called insulin-like growth factor one. Yeah. Insulin-like growth factor one stimulates mitosis. That's a fancy word for cell division. What is cancer? Cancer is uncontrolled cell division. Let's say you have a tumor in your body that's on the brink of turning, becoming cancerous, but is still localized, what they call in situ. There's a danger if you take large amounts of growth hormone, which will stimulate IGF-1, that, <laughs> that you, the IGF-1 will actually stimulate, turn that benign tumor into a malignant tumor. It's an outside chance, admittedly, but it's there's always the chance. Yeah. It does happen in certain people. Very rarely, I admit, very rarely. But this, to me, is the biggest danger of these drugs. Not the other stuff about the heart disease, all that. That stuff is all possible with high dosages. Don't get me wrong. But I'm saying the biggest danger is you don't know that you are that statistical improbability person where taking these drugs is going to lead you right to a grave. That's it's hard. It's hard to do any preemptive measures for any of that as well. There right? isn't. Yeah. So you can't take growth hormone and then get a test in a couple of weeks to see if anything's going away. Right. No, because there's no, there's, there's no, like I say, you have no prior symptoms. I no. mean, before you took the growth, there's nothing. Unless you underwent like intense genetic testing, there's no way you'd know. And nobody's, no doctor is going to order that. If you go to a doctor's office, but well, most doctors, unless it's an anti-aging, they're not going to give you growth hormone anyway. But right, if you go right. to a doctor's office, hey, listen, doc, I'm interested in taking some growth hormone. And uh, I read uh, Branham's article. He said something about uh, IGF-1 uh, <laughs> uh, cancer. Uh, I'd like you to uh, test my genes to make sure that I don't uh, have this problem. He's going to say, get the fuck out. You know, <laughs> out of my office. Don't waste my time. That's what you're – well, you might not say that in particular. <laughs> they question you like, why are you worrying about that? You know, yeah, exactly. I've heard that question before. Like, well, why do you care about that? 
I mean, you're yeah, so young. Exactly. I'm like, okay, I don't want to wait till I'm old and, and you know, I'm starting to <laughs> feel depleted or whatever. And then start questioning you by then. It's a little, it's almost a little too late. I want to do preemptive measures. Is that the whole purpose of coming to you, Doc, for preemptive measures? Well, measure? the anti-aging <laughs> doctors, to be fair, are going to be more open-minded than, of course. than your general Absolutely. practitioner would be. So the guy you're talking about, Jerry, someone who goes to get growth hormone from an anti-aging doctor, they're going to tend to be at least more up-to-date on research that's out there. Exactly. So my guess is they probably wouldn't push back that much on any test that you would want to have, especially if it makes you feel safer about using something. It's a general practitioner that would push back on anything Which you That want. name alone I, says it all, general practitioner. It's like I, 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 would definitely, I would definitely agree with that. Plus, I mean, I hate to be cynical, you know, the added tests also mean added income for the anti-aging doctor, so we have to, you know, but, but besides That's that. That's to encourage it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Let's do all these tests just to make sure. Exactly. And the general yeah, practitioner I, hasn't got I, hip to it yet to see how he can make money off of it. It's like, no, nah, let me just give you some, how about some, some, I don't know, some high blood pressure pills. How about some stuff for your cholesterol? I've got those drugs available. <laughs> you know. Right, right. But see, the thing is, this is the problem with older people. Now, you know, the, the growth hormone therapy that they give to uh, for anti-aging purposes, that's extremely low dosage. That's like something like one-tenth the dose they give for a growth hormone deficiency. Right. But even there, if you check the medical journals, the concern is, again, related to that IGF factor. There's a lot of doctors, and a lot of these doctors are endocrinologists, hormone specialists, mm-hmm. who voice concern that what's going to happen 10 years down the line you know, are, are these people going to open up a dormant tumor and die of cancer? My answer to that, which is we will kind of make you guys laugh, is a lot of the people that start growth hormone are already like in their late 60s. They're going to die anyway. <laughs> right. so I don't think they really give a shit. Just right. Out of time. If, if they think that the growth hormone is going to make them look and feel better. Fuck the tumors. <laughs> That's well, I mean, there's an argument for that, right? I mean, yeah. if you're gonna, if you're already at a certain age and you're thinking, I'd rather have 20 years where I feel great as exactly. opposed to 30 where the last 10 are terrible. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a that's a trade off each person has to exactly. make. Exactly. When you spend most of your day taking just a lot of random medication, you know, for all these different ailments or whatever else, whereas you know, I mean, like that's not living. When you sit and you got like a box and you have to go through all these different compartments of pills, you got to pop twenty or thirty at a time. That's not oh, yeah. living. So why not? Yeah, you, you don't you don't get an award for being the oldest person ever. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so, I ra- I'd rather have like fifty years of a life that's incredible than eighty where you're just miserable the whole time. Well, it reminds me of a story that Bruce. You know, remember Bruce Lee, the great martial artist. Uh, he was being interviewed at a uh, at a cafe, uh, outdoor cafe in Paris once, and as he's being interviewed, uh, him and the reporter watch this old man cross the street. And the guy was all bent over and taking yeah. short steps, you know, typical, real frail old man. And Bruce Lee just stared at the guy, didn't say anything. You know, about five minutes went by and, and Bruce Lee turns to the reporter and he says, you know, I'd rather be dead than live like that. That's not life is not worth living. Well, I have that same yeah. line of thinking, but now it's with guys of any age with bitch tits and an ass like a woman. When I see them walk by, I go, you know what? I'd rather die than look like that yeah. guy. Well, yeah. I <laughs> no, but I actually have a very healthy or unhealthy fear, I should say, of being old. <laughs> so I, I can rela- I can relate to Bruce Lee. I'm I'm that guy yeah, who man. does that. I see like some old dude, old bed over walking around. I'm like, fact, God damn, that's scary. In fact, I get that. I get that fear the older i get i'm like fuck that well hey listen i'm ahead of both you guys so imagine how i feel (laughs) think about it i mean i I remember the first time uh i was at a uh, covering a bodybuilding contest i was at the caesar's palace hotel in las vegas this is god this is about 30 years ago or whatever 
you know, and uh, I remember the, the mirrors in the bathroom in the in the hotel room. It had those you know round those three hundred sixty degree mirrors, and I was, was kind of like shaving. Too much, man. I didn't like. Damn, look at my back fetch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I looked at the mirror, and at first I thought it was like a stain on the mirror. You know? I'm thinking, what the fuck is that? You're like, like, is that my ass too? <laughs> no, no, no. I had to, I had this white light above my head, right? And I'm looking, I'm thinking, what the hell? And I, I had, and I, I, I swear I didn't feel anything, but I'm, I'm showing like a bull patch. I didn't know that I was losing my hair in the back. And I remember I, I was still pretty young back then. And, and I got to tell you guys, I, 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 unabashed, I admit it. I sat on the bed and started crying. I said, fuck, I'm old already. I'm old. Yeah. Was, I admit it was irrational in retrospect. Sure. But I, I just hit me. I, I had no idea. And, you know, just to, I'm just illustrating the way I feel. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of like, you know, understanding what you guys say. I mean, it's 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 uh, whenever I read about a celebrity that well, I mean, died, it's just when you're used to being strong and fit, yeah, right? Yeah, like you know, those, especially during that time, you know, it's all about stuff, being so. the guy. You know, you're young and you've got all this, especially like in the '80s. These guys have this right. big, massive hair because it's just a sign of being young and you know, virile and whatever else. And the only guy that pretty much was getting all the ladies back then that was bald was Telly Savalas. So it wasn't much <laughs> to look, and that's Kojak for people that need to Google that. Well, you yeah. know, so it really didn't give you much hope. You know, no, no. as a matter of fact, I I, I just thought. I was just talking about that the other day to a guy in the gym. I was pointing out how, you know, I remember a time when, when uh, like you were saying, sincere. I remember a time uh, back in the 70s, 60s, whatever, when uh, if a guy lost one strand of hair, he'd start to like freak out. Now, now contrast this to, with today, where every other guy, white, black, whatever, is sh- is walking around with oh, bald heads. Yeah. And, and here's the deal. It's totally accepted. Nobody thinks That's because twice. you go where the women go. The women are like, ooh, I love your bald head. And after that, guys start shaving. <laughs> they weren't trying to hold on to the stubble and the receding hairlines. They shaved that crap off. And then hence, you start having all these companies coming out with Dollar Shave Club. And then you start having, you know, these, these blades that they have just for bald heads that you yeah, can shave. Head scalp or whatever they call that yeah, thing. So head it's blade. Like, you know, hey, man. <laughs> and, th- and think back to the, those days. What did the guys have? Remember the rock star that had hair down to the fucking uh, yeah, waist? Yeah, the hair was longer than the girls I mean, at the time. I mean, if you walked around with short hair, women wouldn't even look at well, you. They probably thought so, you were like a pedophile, a serial killer or a pedophile. It's like, what, what's wrong with this guy? You know, he probably yeah. had the porn stash and no, you know, beard or anything like that. There you go. So the, the more you know, feminine you look, the better. It's just like, you know, clean face, long hair. Some guys wearing eyeliner and everything else. Like, oh, yeah, those guys are getting all the chicks. You know, they well, just got his look with a mustache and, you know, he's going bald or whatever. Like, okay, what's up with Uncle Creepy over there? <laughs> you know what? You know what? I still think there's a certain percentage of the female population that still likes guys that kind of are, are feminine looking. You know, that maybe we're a little, uh, uh, oh, you know, don't think, no pretty, a pretty, a pretty high percentage. Yeah, that's a high percentage. There's no thinking that's, that's going on. I mean, even just in our school that, that explains skinny jeans. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's I just, dudes well, walking around with skinny pajamas, like for pants on, you know, these jogging <laughs> pants, pajama things, you know, that gather at the ankles. I'm like, dude, are you serious right now? Like what is going on with these yeah. now, these guys, you know, yeah. you know, they're wearing I, these high, high, like these, these high crotch pants to the point right. where you can't have a penis and wear those pants. It's just not possible. It's walking like a Ken doll and you might Ken didn't have a penis. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just read something on Facebook. It was a research, research study where it basically kind of said something which I think most people realize is that men and women have different psycho- psychological orientations towards sex and the bottom line is that women are, are more oriented to kind of a- accepting 
having sexual fantasies and relations with other women. In other words, Freud said this many years ago. He believes that all women are naturally bisexual and that, you know, they kind of go against the grain almost when they go totally monogamous with men. But the purpose of that, of course, is to procreate and produce children. But, you know, when you think about it, this, this, this kind of neatly explains this attraction that many women have to guys that look really kind of feminine. I mean, well, know, honestly, I'm surprised women are attracted to men at all. So the fact that times, women are attracted to other women, that doesn't surprise me because yeah, exactly. we're all attracted. <laughs> I mean, a lot of times you hear from so many women who, you know, who are lesbian, they'll say like, well, you know, no one knows how to treat me and please me like another woman. And like yeah. and a lot of times guys won't get it because guys don't have the same parts. They don't have the same feelings. A lot of times, you know, guys are so visual for the most part, whereas women are a lot more when it comes to sexual, a lot more mental. You know, guys, we just like I said, we can just see any anybody walk by and just like she has a vagina. I'm attracted. I'm good. That's it. To my, to my, if she's giving me attention and she has a vagina, then I'm 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 all in. You know, women are like, nah, I'm going to a little more substance, dude. It's like, you know, let, let me know. Can you think? I mean, what what are you about? And guys like what? 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 Huh? <laughs> and like I said, this is not everybody, but you know, right. the, you know, for the most part, that's been this thing. It's just like you have these two different aspects when it comes to what attracts them sexually and how they see, you know, relationships. Because there's just this whole it goes back to the caveman days. You know, what were men doing? It's like, okay, I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna go out and get dinner, I'm gonna hunt, gather, whatever else. Come back. By the time I'm coming back, I'm hungry, I'm tired. But at the same time, you know, you've been doing all this stuff out in the woods where you're chasing and whatever else and like dude you're you're amped up you gotta do something with that with that adrenaline and then there's your woman <laughs> you know there it is you know so all that's you got that rise but then after that you you start your next day you do all, all you do it all over again while she's been home and you know she's been kind of just waiting and she's not going out there killing di- dinosaurs or whatever else she's like screw that <laughs> i'll stay oh. here you know with the kids and and you know and just stay here where it's nice to say if you can have all that and it's a little bit more nurturing you know, to right. the fact. So that takes a lot of to nurture someone takes a lot of mental skills, you know. So it's, it's, and for well, the most part, in the beginning of time, we were removed from that because we were out pretty much on our own doing our own thing. And people yeah. can say, oh, that's that's just, you know, sexist, whatever. It's like, no, that's that's history. Go read it. OK, yeah. so don't even start any fem Nazis, which I doubt we have anymore at this point. You know, So yeah. don't even but, try to come back with that. And that's just if you actually just, you know, use common sense, you will see like, yeah, I can see that. It doesn't mean that just because that happened before we have to still be that way. But at the right. same time, again, we're talking about what kind of leads to this kind of thinking, you know, between men and women, especially when it comes to sexuality. So. Exactly. But, you know, related to that, that statement you made about uh, how lesbians say that only a woman can know a, another woman's body, that is generally true. And there, there's a, but the reason for that is that most men, I would say the majority of men, don't bother to learn about it. Like they, don't want, they don't ask. It's like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm just exactly. going to find out. <laughs> and they, they impart their values on women's psychology, which is always a mistake. Right. In other words, they want, they're hot to trot. They want to get laid. So they just want to jump on the woman and start pumping away. They don't realize that the woman needs warming up. She needs a foreplay. She needs the, you know, she needs her whole body stimulated. The guys that turn, that bother to learn this stuff or ask, like you say, they're the ones that women talk about as being this 
fantastic lover type of situation. Right. See, the other guys are just bumblers. But well, those are the guys. Those guys are also they know they have a limited amount of time. You're like, okay, this erection is only going to stay without a blue pill. <laughs> I'm only going to have this erection for so long, and you don't want to be that guy that by the time she's warmed up and ready to go, you can't get it up because now you got to sit there and wait, and then. There's a whole new issue because now she's thinking like, "What? You're not attracted to me?" And the, or she's thinking like, "God, this guy sucks." And then he's thinking that too. He's like, "I don't want to suck, you know, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want her thinking that, you know, it's it's her." But then he doesn't want to admit that because then it makes him, for some reason, he feels like that makes him feel weak and look weak to her. And so there's this a whole different set of like psychological mess going on just from that situation. So they're like, "Let me get this while I got it up," you know, and well, just and, and then of course, <laughs> the, so my nature is a funny is a funny being because it's like, well. She can sit there and, and get hers three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times in one session. Dude, you're lucky if you get yours maybe two or three times in one session before you're like, you know, I'm tired. And a lot of times women are tired too. Like, get off me. By the time you get to the second one, like, enough. So don't go by the porn and all this other crap or whatever. Most women, by 30 minutes, they want you to go away. They want you that's, to stop. <laughs> that's true. That's true. But I have one word for the guy that's having trouble with the, uh, you know, Viagra. I mean, if you think that's going to happen, you you know, use one of those. Phosphodiesterics and everything. <laughs> I mean, it'll keep you up for a while. You know, if you think you're going to encounter something yeah. like that, you know, there's I mean, a problem when you're 25 years old and you're popping Viagra at 25. Yeah, I'm like, dude, you're at the height of your testosterone. Well, at okay. that age, it's not about ED; it's about performance enhancement. <clears throat> exactly. Right? So you it's need like to make some lifestyle changes. Pre workout changes, supplement. Yeah. It's well, well, it's just, it's just, it's just a quick fix, which is what our society is all about. Yeah. So t- taking a pre workout supplement for that as well. Like, I don't feel like working out. Let me take this so I'll feel like working out. Where if you had a good night of sleep and your nutrition is optimal, you're going to feel like working out without needing a kick. Right. But going back to this nootropics, we went on this round the world <laughs> discussion as we always do. So that's not surprising <laughs> to listeners. Just coming back to nootropics on one of your videos. You talked about ginkgo biloba, vimpocetine, and let's see, bacopa and phosphatidylserine. And you said that there's a lot of benefits of these, but it takes several months for these to kick in. It's not something where you're going to feel it in the first week or two. That's correct. In other words, uh, if you were to say to me, if you give me a blanket uh, question, uh, what what would you recommend for mental enhancement uh, that you use on a regular basis? I would recommend the nutritional versions rather than the, like, again, the modafinil. And the uh, paracetam, that kind of stuff, that is situational. Rather, you know, the, you could say they're, they're used for uh, under acute conditions when you really need that boost. Whereas the other ones will kind of continually feed your brain more or less. The, the substances that you mentioned, most of them are safe. But you know, being that the one thing you'll find, Mike, with natural substances is that they don't work like drugs. You right. know, drugs. It's going to be subtle. Yeah. Right. A lot of drugs work by interacting with enzymes. That's a more or less rapid, almost instantaneous type of situation, whereas kind of natural substances have to kind of like get incorporated in the body. Uh, one good example of this is like the joint supplements like glucosamine. I mean, they those things take two to three months before they do anything. Right, right. And some of the studies that found that they didn't work, they gave it to them for two weeks. Of course, it's not going to work. Right. It's going to be right, actually right. incorporated in the joint. And that's the same with these these natural nootrophics, if you want to call them that, like phosphate, the ones you mentioned, bacopa, all that, ginkgo. I mean, they take a while. A good example, when I first started using ginkgo years ago, I, again, I, I was writing back then, and I was looking for something. I had a maximum writing time of about two hours, back, meaning that 
It's like what we were just saying about the sex. After two hours, I just burnt out. I just just couldn't think. I, I, I started making spelling errors. I couldn't put the sentences together. I knew I had to stop. Yeah. So I, I, I heard about ginkgo. It supposedly increased your your uh, focus, your your mental ability, your, you know, your concentration. I said, okay, I'm going to try this stuff. And I took it at, and, and I actually doubled the dosage initially. I was taking 240 milligrams. The suggested dosage is 120. I started right off at 240. And I took it, you know, two weeks went by, nothing. Three weeks, nothing. Four weeks, and I'm saying, okay, this stuff's a fraud. doesn't work. I'm still on my two-hour limit. I remember about two months, I, but I continued to take it because it wasn't that much money. I figured, out, you know, it's not hurting me. And it did something else which was useful to me. It inhibited a certain protein that's re- related to uh, asthma attacks. Mm-hmm. And, and since I have asthma, I figured, okay, I'll take it for the asthma. So I continued to take it. I remember this is how it happened. I was about two months later. I was working on an article and I got into what they call a flow. You know, you know, you know what that is. Sure. You know, you're writing. You kind of lose complete track of time. It's almost like you're enveloped in. It's just you and the. At that time, I was using a typewriter. That's how long ago it was. There was no computer, (laughs) and 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 it was just me and the typewriter. Though the world had disappeared, And, and I remember I'm typing and typing, and 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 I'm going and everything's going great, and I lost track of time. And then finally, I kind of like came out of it. I look at the clock. 12 hours had gone by. 12 hours had gone by. Mm-hmm. I said, holy shit, the stuff finally kicked in. <laughs> you know? So my point is, it took two It took two months for it to really. And after that, I mean, I'm, I still take it. I don't know if it works like that anymore. But I'm taking right now, I'm taking so many. I, I, I tell people that about 30% of the supplements I take, are to stimulate memory and learning and, and, and to sharpen my brain. Believe it. Yeah, I, yeah. That gives you an idea of how much I, I believe in this stuff. I mean, if a scientist was sitting in on this interview, you know, these people, these these neuroscientists, he'd actually start laughing and he'd say, Jerry, you're, you're obviously displaying the placebo effect because there's no real research to show that this stuff is really doing what you think it's doing. And my response to that is, you know what, doctor? I am able to like write as long as I want. I can focus. I can concentrate. I don't have trouble reaching for words, which a lot of people my age do. I said, so if it's a, it's like, it's like they say about the bodybuilding supplements. Oh, it's a placebo. The whey protein's not really doing anything. In the meantime, the guy's putting on muscle. So, you know, obviously something is causing his muscle to grow. Maybe he's training harder. Maybe he's sleeping better, but. You know, if he thinks it's the way and he's gaining muscle, do you really give a crap that it's a placebo if you're actually making real gains? Then that's my point. If this stuff really, if I believe that it's making me smarter and my work and my thinking seems to indicate that, I'm going to continue taking them. That's it. You know, all right, maybe I am wasting my money. I don't know. But the point is that most of these things do have some basis. I don't take anything that has no basis of research. Well, I guess the way to know for yeah. sure would be you stop taking it for a while. Stop exactly. Taking, and, and on top of that, is it really placebo again. if it actually, if it's giving you that belief that it's working and you're actually, you're actually a, achieving the goal in which that you're taking these products, then is it really not working when you say it that way? You know, I mean, sometimes things got to go a little beyond just the science of it or whatever, because science is still having a problem trying to break down belief. And really understand belief and faith or whatever else. So again, if it's in your mind helping you to get to where you need to be, then is it really not working at that time? 
Or, or is it in like, your case, I don't really think it's a placebo anyway, because for the first several months, you said, I'm not feeling anything off right. of this. The stuff's not doing jack shit. And then all of a sudden, it started working. So right. you, you didn't even have the belief that yeah, it's exactly. actually beneficial there it on that. I did not have the belief. And, and, and at that time, that was the only so-called nootropic supplement I was using. I wasn't using any of the others. It was only ginkgo. Other, the only other things I used were, were my normal vitamins, which I've been taking for years. You know, by, you know, your classic vitamin mineral. I wasn't taking anything that would stimulate the brain. You know, and so again, it kicked in. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was a placebo. All I know is that it, it seemed to help me. I, I was never able to write for 12 straight hours. No way. Right. And this was the first time that happened. So again, I mean, it, it's kind of an open question, but I, I would advise people. If you ever want to try any of these things, like the bacapa, the ginkgo, the phosphatidylserine, you know, that type of thing, uh, you know, you got to give it some time before you uh, – and you, you probably would be a good idea to try one at a time rather right. than take a bunch of them at once because, again, if you take a bunch of them at once, how do you know which one's really working and which one isn't? So you want to, like, give each one a trial. I would say to give it at least six weeks for each supplement – to see if it helps your, your let's say, cognitive ability, you know, your focus, your, your concentration, that type of thing. Uh, and that's about the best way to people, do it. People tend to be too impatient with supplements. They'll take something for a week and go, I'm not feeling anything. It's like, well, think, think, of, think about that time frame in any other context. I worked out for a week. I didn't lose any weight or get stronger. It's not working. Well, <laughs> you don't measure the, effective, the effectiveness of a workout until – no, you don't. You don't measure the effectiveness of a workout until you've done it for at least a month or so. Right. That's that's how long it takes to assess whether it's working or not. But on the flip well, side, of it, a lot of these products, too, you know, they they tout that it's going to work just like this, and by this time, you're going to feel this, and you're going to feel that's that. true. So people, that's the reason why a lot of people bought the product in the first place because of all the promises that it gave. You know, you know, you can feel it up to, you know, or at least by. You know, that's the part they end up ignoring when they <laughs> yeah. say that, you know, up to 30, you know, within 30 days or more. See, they always forget the the or more part. They heard 30 days like, oh, there you go. You know, I got a month and then a month later, nothing's happening. Like now we moved on to the or more part of that sentence. Yeah, I mean, just think about what happens in a month. For the most part, really nothing for most people. Except bills. You, know, you work out for bills a month. Bills is the only thing that happens every month. <laughs> yeah, consistently. yeah th those are consistent. <laughs> but, I mean, you work out for a month. You're going to have some progress, but it's not going to be overwhelming, whether you're a skilled athlete or, or a newbie. You're not going to have this big-time transformation. You're not going to add 100 pounds to your deadlift in a month. You're yeah. not going to have this magical transformation. It's, it's consistency over long periods of time. Well, well, you know, another a, a kind of parallel to this is, is uh, in the last two or three years, I've seen a couple of uh, articles in medical journals where doctors are telling people not to take vitamin and mineral pills so that they're because they do absolutely nothing. And they're a complete waste of money. And so they're, what they, the option they tell people is to eat a balanced diet. Now, my response to that is, first of all, if you eat a truly – I wrote an article years ago where dietitians used a computer program to design perfectly balanced diets that would include every nutrient. They could not come up with such a diet. Certain <laughs> nutrients you just can't get in the in – the now, this is the recommended – not, not mega doses – Certain nutrients you just can't get enough of from food. For example, vitamin D, vitamin E. These are two of them, just to name two off the top. So my response to those reports is, okay, if people and, – and besides which, when I used to give nutrition seminars, my first question to the audience was, how many here eat, eat, consume a balanced diet? When I'd say that about – let's say there were 30 people in the room, about five hands would go up. Then my second question was, okay, how many of you people that eat a balanced diet every day 
eat foods from all the recommended food groups, including a minimal five servings a day of fruits and vegetables and dairy products, cheese, milk, no hands went up. So the people that thought they were following balanced diets were not. Therefore, they were lacking nutrients. So the point is, if you don't eat a balanced diet and you're not taking a vitamin mineral, buddy, lady, sooner or later, you're going to be in trouble. But what, what, now, how does this relate to what we're saying, Mike, and, and uh, sincere? You're not going to feel anything for a long time. Right. A lot of people have this idea, well, if I take this vitamin and mineral, I'm going to be able to run 10 miles and who knows, lift that to a 400. It doesn't work like that. They work with coenzymes. It's a biochemical effect. They're not like depressed, antidepressant or stimulant. You're not going to feel it, but it is doing something. Yeah, you're not going to feel the negatives of a deficiency for a long time either. I mean, I, had a, right. I remember I stopped taking vitamin D. I just ran out, so I just stopped taking it for a long time, and I had some blood work done, and my vitamin D levels were crazy low, like ridiculously low. I didn't feel bad going in, though. Right. When I saw that number, I'm like, okay, get back on D3 because right. well, the, over time, this will be a problem. Well, that's the thing. You see, the damage, if you want to call it that, is – I mean you, you, walk around, you, you will walk around feeling pretty normal. But there are things going on, for example, with vitamin D, uh, there could be things going on related to cardiovascular problems, uh, related sure. to immune problems that you're not going to know about until something sudden crops up, you know, and that's usually the case. So this notion of that you don't need vitamins and minerals and a waste of money, it just sickens me to read that kind of stuff. It's so wrong to tell people that. Yeah, and how much money is it really? It's not yeah, that expensive right. to have a good basic multivitamin. Yeah. To take vitamin D3 supplementation is not expensive. None of these things are that yeah. expensive. Yeah, and in the meantime, these same doctors – that it, and again, I'm not against doctors at all, believe me. But these same doctors that will tell a, a patient, don't take the vitamin mineral, have your balanced diet. As soon as a person shows uh, maybe five points higher cholesterol level, hey, take this statin drug, right? <laughs> yeah, right, right. You need a they don't hesitate to give the drugs. <laughs> but no, no, keep away from the vitamins. But this drug, this is what you need. I mean, what's going on there? Well, you know, that, that vitamin has not been, you know, researched or approved by the FDA because <laughs> but these drugs have. But yeah, it's also been recalled by the FDA. As well. <laughs> yeah, what's well, the point, Doc? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, uh, any, any pharmacist will tell you the pharmaceutical truism: a drug that has no side effects is a drug that doesn't work. <laughs> you know, that's a fact. You so, can't even call it a drug at that point, you know, but it's yeah. a yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, again, getting back to the uh, neutral, uh, you know, I, I would say that, uh, again, give it a shot. I so, mean, so with ginkgo biloba, you're, you're recommending around 120 milligrams? 120. And uh, let's say if you're a student that, that needs to cram and you have been taking this stuff for at least a month, you might want to go to 240 uh, or a little bit more than that. I, yeah. I, I've used as much as uh, about I've gone up to five or six hundred. Uh, I haven't had any. Uh, the only problem there that could possibly happen is it interferes a little bit with blood clotting. Mm. So, you know, if you're a hemophiliac, maybe you want to keep away from ginkgo and you also want to keep away from garlic, which also does the same thing. Yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, th that's the way it is. I mean, give it a, give it a shot and uh, see, see what happens. I and mean, it's not going to hurt you. The, uh, these nutrients, again, have very low rate of side effects. And out, out of vimpocetine, phosphatidylserine, bacopa, and ginkgo, would you recommend ginkgo as the first one to start with? Uh, actually, I would recommend bacopa, and I'll tell you why. Okay. Normally, I would recommend ginkgo, but there's been a problem with ginkgo. It has nothing to do with the ginkgo working or not. It's the fact that uh, there's a situation going where there's a lot of fake ginkgo, ginkgo supplements, 
Uh, some of these supplements do not contain what they call the ginkgo lights, the active ingredients. Right. They're kind of like, uh, unfortunately, Mike, you know, and, and sincere, I'm sure you're aware, there's a problem with it, you know, with the food supplement industry. Uh, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a couple of bad apples that ruin it for everybody where they produce these inferior supplements that don't match the label. And, 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 and uh, when you're dealing with herbal substances, like for example, ginkgo, it's a huge problem because, uh, I mean, a lot of the herbal substance, uh, uh, supplements, they're supposed to be standardized that contain a certain amount of active ingredient. Unfortunately, a large percentage are not. Why that happens, I really don't know. I don't know whether it's to make more money yeah. or whether well, it's definitely, definitely to make more it money. Could, yeah, they're cutting yeah. corners, cutting costs. I'm, I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt here, but you're probably right. But I mean, uh, so, uh, Bacapa, for some reason, uh, tends to be, because it's not quite as popular as Ginkgo, right. it tends to be more, more correctly standardized. So Bacapa would be my first choice. And, uh, I just actually saw about two or three recent studies. Uh, Bacapa has been used in something called Ayurvedic medicine, which is right. the medicine yeah. of India. It's been used for like 5,000 years as a memory enhancer. That doesn't mean it works, by the way. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of things. I mean, that's another mistake a lot of people make. Well, they've been using it for right. 5,000 years. It has to work. Yeah, well, that's sacrificing that's, people that, to the sun, common, too, for good weather 5,000 yeah, yeah, years exactly. ago as well. I mean, yeah, seriously. That's a common <laughs> argument that's often used for thousands of years. People yeah, in Nigeria yeah, exactly. have been using I mean, it. That, that's the logic that was applied to certain pro-hormones that were released that were used uh, by uh, African people, uh, you know, for hundreds of years as aphrodisiac, supposedly. That was one of the main basis of you, of, of uh, releasing them as testosterone boosters right, because right. because the only actual studies to prove their efficacy were rat studies. There was not a single human study. But the people in Africa, in certain nations in Africa, swore by these. They We used them as aphrodisiac since these people were human. Obviously, it must work, and that was the rationalization, right? Right, right. Now, I'll, I'm not even going to say whether they worked or not. Uh, uh, you know, Mike, you could read my article about it in the, in the Applied Metabolics. Suffice to say, some of them definitely have some potential. I'm not going to, you know, do a broad generalization and say they all stink like some guys do. Right. I, I don't agree with that. I think one of them is actually quite uh, useful, this stuff called Long Jack. Uh, you know, it's also called Tongat Ali. Yeah, that's a Malaysian herb, isn't it? It's a Malaysian herb. Yeah. It comes from a tree. And again, the problem there, again, just like the other herbal stuff, is a lot of the stuff on the internet is fake. And, you know, it, it doesn't do anything. But if you get the real stuff. Yeah, LJ100 generally is LJ100, a good standardized brand that's of that. Standardized yeah. yeah. Right. But let's say, you know, if you can get the uh, uh, real stuff, and let's say you're a guy 45 who's starting to show low testosterone. What the studies show is that if you take this stuff, it will bring, it's not going to give you a super physiological level like steroids or, or testosterone itself. Forget it. It's not, because right. I'll give you a blanket statement here. There's no supplement that works like steroids. Anyone who says it, it's just not telling the truth. Right. But there, it can bring up a low testosterone into a normal range. And again, it's completely free of side effects. And there's been about three recent studies since I wrote the article that it confirmed this. So, again, it's situational. Uh, if you give it to a 25-year-old guy who already has a, a, a peak testosterone level, it's not going to do anything. You know, right. you're wasting your money. Unless, unless, and this is what I pointed out in my article, 
if you're doing, if you're a 25 year old guy and you're doing something that will artificially lower your testosterone, let's say you're going without sleep, one night of lack of enough sleep in a 19 year old, I'm sorry, yeah, in a 19 year old guy, they showed in a study, will lower testosterone. Just one night of not enough sleep will lower testosterone 15%. Mm. You know, if you're under a lot of stress, if you're not eating enough dietary fat, you have to have 20 to 25% fat in your diet to maintain your natural testosterone synthesis. If you're doing any of those, maybe taking Tonga Ali might, even in a 20-year-old, might give you a little bit of boost. You know what I mean? Saying, I'm not, but you, you still need to correct those other factors. Don't get me wrong. But I'm saying, again, it can work in certain situations, even for younger people. But generally, I'd say it's reserved for people that, or men, I should say, that are already showing Oh, women can use it too, because you know, older women, a lot of them do show low testosterone. You know, they could use it for a little bit of a boost. Well, so, cortisol is such an inhibitor of optimal testosterone. So, what about looking at optimizing testosterone a different way? Looking at managing cortisol via herbs such as rodeola, ashwagandha, etc. I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Uh, also, phosphatidylserine, which we mentioned as a uh, as a uh, cognitive enhancer. Uh, it's been shown in some studies to uh, to kind of inhibit uh, ACTH, which of course stimulates the cortisol release from the adrenal glands. Uh, it seems to uh, uh, nobody really knows the exact mechanism, but it seems to cut your uh, if you're using the right amount, which is about uh, three. Uh, well, it's anywhere from uh, 300 to 800 milligrams. It can uh, reduce your cortisol output by about a third. Now, you know, Mike, you know that you don't, one thing you don't want to do, and a lot of bodybuilders make, make this error, they think cortisol, cortisol is this evil hormone that right, should obliterate right. it. Well, let me tell you something, guys. Uh, I don't know if they're still doing because I, I don't really go to the contest anymore, but years ago, a lot of the bodybuilders were using a drug called Cytodrine or Oreometrin. Uh, now, what this stuff does is it inhibits steroid synthesis at a level right at the beginning of where steroids are produced from cholesterol. But it, it, it inhibits all steroids. They were using it to inhibit estrogen and cortisol to make them more cut, right? Uh, but what, but it, you know, what, what they didn't realize, it also inhibits androgens like yeah. testosterone. But a lot of the guys, here we go again with that thinking, if one tablet is good, four is going to make me much better, much harder. Some of the guys used it. They knocked out their cortisol. What happened was they were so in such joint pain, they were so sore that they couldn't even work out. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that cortisol is an anti-inflammatory. That's what it hormone. is. Hormone. It's not a. It's not a pro-inflammatory hormone. It's 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 one of your yeah. main anti-inflammatory. And yes, it it can be catabolic in certain situations, you know. But the thing is, a lot of people also don't realize is that cortisol at certain points, actually stimulates fat mobilization. It can be called a fat burner under certain conditions. They did a study. Yeah, isn't that during intermittent fasting, your cortisol levels exactly. go up? And, yeah. There you go. Exactly. And also after a workout. Right. The funny thing is they did a study where they measured hormone release in young men after resistant exercise, and they found only two hormones had any relation at all to, to promoting muscle hypertrophy. The, the hormones were growth hormone and surprisingly cortisol, yeah. which like blew the minds of, you know, of people who read this on the web. Whoa, whoa, the body, they were having like this cognitive dissonance. Well, wait a minute, cortisol builds muscle. Oh, no. <laughs> they, they freaked out when they read that. 
Well, generally, when someone wakes up and they have really low energy, they think, oh, my cortisol must be high. I'm stressed. It's like, no, it's really oh. low. Oh. Right. And then they have really high cortisol at night. They can't sleep at night. They have that, right. that adrenal fatigue syndrome. What about I, – I, with phosphorus tyrosine, I was like inter- interesting sideline about that. Is I remember when that was first popularized in muscle mag, mag – what, what was it? It might have been Iron Man magazine. They had that one phosphatidylserine supplement. Yeah. Yes. So anyway, I tried that 800 milligrams because at that time they were saying take it before you work out, which right. is really bad advice. <laughs> right? But, <laughs> but it was going on that line of thinking that you have, like, okay, your stress is really high. Lower your stress, you'll get a better workout. And the exact opposite is the case. Yeah. You know, so I would take a high dose of phosphatidylserine before training, and you would just be lethargic and tired right. going into that workout. Right. So the right. right time to take it would have been after the workout and probably not even that high a dosage either. Well, the reason that happened to you, Mike, I can tell you why, is because uh, of high dosages of phosphatidylserine also affect those same those neurotransmitters we mm. talked about earlier. Yeah. And in the case of high doses of, of phosphatidylserine, you didn't realize it. I'm not, it's not your fault. I, I didn't know it at the time either, quite honestly. I didn't know this till about two years ago. But when you take high doses of phosphatidylserine, you stimulate serotonin release in the brain. Right, right. Uh, you know, if you know anything about serotonin. Yeah, get really relaxed now. Yeah. It's yeah. In fact, this You want to go take a nap. You don't want to go work out. Yeah, in fact, there was a theory years ago. You know, L-tryptophan is the immediate precursor. L-tryptophan right, right. Acid is the immediate precursor for serotonin. And there was a theory that... Uh, uh, you know, uh, if you if you if, if you uh, take in uh, if you have too much tryptophan in the blood while you're working out, it'll get into the brain, convert it to serotonin, and take away your workout drive. You want to go, just go lie down instead of training. Right, right. And and the antidote was thought to be branch chain amino acids because branch chain amino acids compete with tryptophan for uptake into the brain. So you know, this is a theory. Unfortunately. Uh, subsequent studies show the effect is not quite as strong as they thought it was. It's, yeah. not, that, it's not that it's not real. In other words, tryptophan does turn into serotonin, but the effect in that situation uh, with athletes and people that work out, not quite as potent as they originally. It was more of a theoretical scenario rather than a real world. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one thing you say about vimpocetine is that it also blocks genes in muscles that cause muscle aging. Yeah. That's the, yeah. It actually, uh, they, they 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 found a study that that uh, uh, no I, I think you're talking about ginkgo aren't you it's not ginkgo yeah I took notes on one of your it might have, I'm pretty sure it was it was it was under my notes for the lecture you gave it was I think it was under vimpocetine but it's possible I got it wrong actually it's it ginkgo. might be in, it's ginkgo okay ginkgo blocks uh, I believe it's about either a, 150 or 200 uh, genes that are are related to muscle aging okay and in animal you know again it's uh, you know I mean you have to really take animal studies with a grain of salt, I, I, sure. you know, to use a cliche, because, you know, it doesn't always pan out at the humans, but there are certain things in animals that are duplicated in uh, certain physiological processes, let's say, in animals like rats that are duplicating humans. And there's a good chance, let's put it that way, there's a good chance that what happens in the rat will also be duplicated in human physiology. And, and this is a situation with ginkgo. These particular genes also exist in human muscle. So, again, it would be like a long-term effect. In other words, uh, somebody listening to this who's uh, 65 years old might kind of run out to the health food store or go online and buy ginkgo thinking, well, I'm going to take this bottle of uh, 
ginkgo and uh, turn my muscles back into a 19-year-old. Unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. What it does is it delays the aging process. It doesn't stop it. As to my knowledge, there's nothing, nothing that exists currently that stops the aging process. The best you can do is delay it. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, exercise, good nutrition. There's several ways to do that. But to actually stop aging of muscles, no. They, they thought that there was something that did that. It was called GDF-11. This was a protein they discovered where they gave it to rats, and it actually rejuvenated the muscles. So the mm -hmm. muscles of the equivalent of, let's say, 60-year-old humans, I'm talking about rats, turned into 19-year-old muscles. And this made all the headlines. They, they said, we finally found a substance that can turn back the clock on muscle aging. And I put a, I, I put the report on my Facebook page. And I didn't put a warning. like I should have, but I didn't. <laughs> Guess what? Now they know that GDF-11 works exactly the opposite in humans as it does in rats. It speeds the aging of muscles. But it, it works. So, my God, the last thing you want to do is take an injection of GDF-11. Yeah. So it just goes to show that's how funny science is. You know, this is a beef I have with a lot of these blogs and sites where, they, where, they, where they, 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 they write about rat studies and the headline says, you should, uh, study shows you need 40 grams of protein after every meal. And then you read this, the, uh, the text and it turns out it was a rat study. Yeah. There was no yeah. human verification of it. Actually, a lot of the studies on protein requirements are based on animal models. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's why they're completely flawed, need to yeah, be updated. See, see the way this guy is writing it. He's, he's jumping to the conclusion that, well, it did this in the rat, so you can take this as absolute fact. That's bad thinking and bad science. Yeah. And yet people yeah. read this. I see this stuff reposted on Facebook. These people believe this crap. Well, they just, read the, they just read the headline and they're like, oh, gosh, yeah. You know, they found something. They didn't read the actual article. And that's probably what that blogger did was create that headline for clickbait. You know, and so but, everybody's going to share and it's going to go viral. But who actually read the freaking article and then went on to read the actual study itself? Most people right. don't anymore. Most people just see a headline and they run with it and then they have comments about it. I see well, on Facebook all the time. Like, why did you even read? What, what are you even saying right now? What kind of comment is this? If you read the article, you wouldn't have said what you just said when in the yeah. comment section. So, well. I've learned, uh, uh, kind of obliquely, I've learned to be careful. Like, you ever see this stuff on Facebook where they'll post a sensationalistic item? Uh, <laughs> Hillary Clinton uh, found to uh, have sex with Donald Trump. Something tell like the that. truth? Yeah, that's very sensational. <laughs> and, you know, you know, and you look at it, and you know, if you read the article, it, it almost seems it's real. But, and so, like, in the past, I'd, I'd make the mistake of posting something like that. And then suddenly after I posted, I'd sit back and say, wait a minute, hold on a second. Something's not right there. Yeah, and it's that, just clickbait. That, yeah, right. there's, a lot of, there's a lot of that clickbait. Or someone will say, like, oh, that's just a myth, man. Somebody, uh, you might I, want to take that article down. Well, that, yeah, that's, well, that's what <laughs> Well, there, there's one I came across where it said 20 incredible transformations that famous actors, actresses have made right before and after. And the, and, and the picture that you clicked on was this extremely overweight young black lady that's in this show called Empire, right? Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, so I clicked on it because I was curious. I was like, oh, wow, she lost a bunch of weight. She needs to lose a lot of weight. So I was curious to see what if she maybe went through some transformation. 
information recently. <laughs> yeah, so I, yeah. So I went through all 22 of these celebrities looking for her transformation, and nope. she was nowhere to be found. Still I overweight. Like, you, I was like, just wasted my time. <laughs> come on, come on. All you have to do this. is watch the last last week's Empire, Mike, and you'll realize, like, nah, oh, no. But I, no I, I thought that might have been filmed like a couple months ago. Maybe she made some <laughs> transformation recently. But I mean, her photo was right there. So I was like, okay, I'm curious. But that's what the, that's what they were betting on. They're like, right. going, okay, people are going to be curious enough or dumb enough in this case to click on it like me and then see what this transformation is. And for, anyway, that's just an example of clickbait that is right. extremely common on the internet. Well, I just did an, uh, one of my latest articles in the next coming the next issue of my Applied Metabolics newsletter. I, I, I actually jumped on a news item I saw. They came out with a study where they tracked these biggest losers uh, contestants, <laughs> and they tracked 14 of them over a six-year period, and they found that almost all of them were failures. So then I researched it more. I found other stories, and it turns out that, that about, I'd say, about 97, 98% of the people that lost all their weight on that show you know, regained it all back, and then some. Some yeah. of them got even fatter. You know, you might remember Oprah. Well, any, any goal you achieve in the context of a competition is going to be problematic because what do you do when that competition environment's gone? Exactly. When the when the, the thought of winning prize money or something else, or even just the fame itself, is gone now because that was your that was your main objective instead of or trying you're on to get a TV healthy. show where your job is to work out, right? That's all you're doing. You're taken out of your life. You're not working and then and then doing these workouts. You're just doing those workouts. Yeah, you're protected from all the things that can make you fail. You know, you're <laughs> right. stuck in this house. You got your own physicians. You know, you got your own nutritionist. You got all this stuff you know so here's the thing if you don't win that money where you can afford to buy these people once you get back into the real world then right. you're right back where you started with to the things that got you on that show in the first but place. what i don't get is this okay you've you've reached a level of fitness and a lot of those transformations to be honest are really impressive that you see on the show i don't watch the show i don't like the show but i've seen the transformations now for a small window of time, you are strong and fit. Yeah. Why don't you want to hold on to that feeling? Right. Because that, to me, is the, is the biggest motivation of being strong and fit, is that you like the way you look and feel. It makes it easy to avoid all of those negative habits. So it's like, did you not only did you lose the weight, did you also lose your memory? Did you remember how, <laughs> yeah, how bad exactly. you felt before you got there, how miserable you were, how That's life sucked? Why would you uh, want to go back to that? Well, the know, thing is, here's the thing. Here's the thing. The, the reason I wrote the article it's because in all the articles I read about this study, and there's been dozens of them all over the internet or commenting on it. And by the way, I never watched the show either, Mike. I, 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 I'm not into reality programs. It's horrible. These shows are terrible. Oh, I, I hate them. I hated them all. <laughs> yeah, <I> mean, <laughs> anyway, anyway, the point, but the point is though that I, I researched, I went all over the internet reading articles, but there was not one single article I read or I encountered that gave a solution to these people. In other words, is there, in other words, the way these articles are written, uh, a lot of them ended by saying, so there you go, you know, forget about dieting. <laughs> you know, just accepting, <laughs> we're just accepting fat because it's not, you're never going to look, look at these people. They yeah, all, that mentality I hate you know, too, that you can't make yourself better, whatever the context right. is. Except, yeah. the fact that, except the fact that if you're extremely obese, yeah, you're going to get heart disease. Yeah, you're going to, you just got to accept that really pissed me off when I read that because that's taking away any any you know chance of, of, of hope for these people and it's fucking not true. That's what really pissed me off. Right. It's not true. Yes, it's difficult. I'm not going to say it's easy. So what I did is I wrote an article. I talked the, the, begin, the beginning. I talked about these studies. You know all the science studies related to the biggest lose. I talked about some of the horror stories that these people went through with that idiot Jillian Michaels, who I'd like to punch in the face <laughs> and this type of stuff. But the thing is, the, the, the context, the, 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 uh, the point of the article was 
I laid out a way where these people could have kept the weight off and stayed fit. In fact, my research showed me there's a small percentage of people that did just that. They, what they did is they, they continued to do things right. And, and in some cases, like in the study I just mentioned, the 14 people, only two of them kept the weight off. One of them had underwent bariatric surgery. He had a, yeah, right, he yeah. had a stomach stape, whatever. You know, I mean, I discount that. You know, that, that, that to me is a whole different ballgame. Sure. But in other words, there are ways. And, and I, 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 in this article, I talk about some of the ways. I mean, you know, and this isn't just for like biggest losers contestants. This is for people that experience the recidivism situation of dieting, you know, where, you know, we lose a lot of weight and it always comes back. 97% of people that lose a lot of body fat regain it. Why? Well, the reasons are very complex. I have to save that for another article and very, very complex reasons. But I gave a practical uh, information article about, you know, basically, if you're a biggest loser or whatever, here's a way to keep it off. You know, it's going to take a little work, and I'm not going to say it's easy. It's going to take some willpower, some discipline. But I gave some ways to make it easier where, you know, because it, it, it does take – I mean, uh, I mean, you mentioned earlier the competition, you guys. I, I totally agree with you because I could relate to that because I when I competed in a physique contest years ago, I got to tell you, I, I had this thing in my head. Even when there was a no contest imminent, I would never let myself get fat, never. In other words, you know, in those days, we used to do something called bulking up, where we we yeah. eat a lot of food and purposely gain weight to try and get size. These are, I'm talking about the guys that didn't take drugs. You know, that was our way of gaining size. We eat a lot of food in between contests to try and put muscle bulk. Then we trimmed down, hopefully, some of the bulk we gained, you know, the added strength we got from all that excess body fat. Mm-hmm. We'd keep some of the muscle that we gained by being stronger. That was the thought behind it, see? Now, but what I did is I would kind of never let myself get to the point of being obese. I got bulky, I got smooth, but when I saw no trace of abdominals, in other words, if, if it got to the point where the obliques were like sitting over my belt, <laughs> that's, and, that's a bad sign. Yeah, I, 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 you can't, when you can't see your Johnson anymore, you know you've moved <laughs> up a little bit too much. Uh, and, and, hold, on hold on a second. It never got to that point. But, but wait a minute. Oh, you, you guys heard of Frank Zane, right? Yeah, yeah sure. Frank Zane told me a story years ago. You know, Frank Zane is, is a three-time Mr. Olympia. Yeah. His, his competition body weight was maybe 180, 185 tops, right? It's right, right. a very small bone man, five foot nine. He tried for a while. You know, when Arnold came on the scene, he looked at Arnold. He said, hey, wait a minute. If I'm going to compete against this guy, I have to get bigger. So, you know, he was living in Florida at the time. He decided to do heavy squats, all the heavy lifting. He increased his food intake. He went up to 205 pounds. And I remember him telling the story. He says, Jerry, he says, I remember I was driving my car. (laughs) I, I, I stopped at a light and I suddenly realized that my stomach was hanging over the steering wheels. <laughs> now, this is Frank Zane talking. Yeah, that guy is shredded. Yeah. He's shredded. <laughs> I, and, and I couldn't even picture something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's hard to imagine. And, and what he said to me, he says, I never let myself get fat again. And I accepted the fact that I I, I cannot really be a big guy. So I'm going to go in the other direction. Right. I'm going to make myself as hard and cut and finished as possible. So that, that, that in other words, my point being that, you know, that, 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 you know, when, when you're competing, there's a thing in your mind where, you know, I, I can't let myself go where without that competition edge in your mind, you know, it's easy. To, oh, I'll have that fucking donut. Who cares? You know, no, no, I don't have to show my, right. 
So, and I'm not saying that I'm in that situation. Well, I mean, just the other day, like yesterday, I was doing sprints, right? And I was, I was doing, I did 1450 yard sprints, just having a great workout. And there's a nice guy there, nice older guy was walking his golden retriever and he was just curious what I'm doing because he's seen me out there many times. He's like, Oh, you you have a competition coming up or you're, you're in a, you're going to be in a sprinting competition or you play football. And I was like, No, I just do this to work out. I just like to be fit. And he just couldn't understand that response because to him, he's like, Why would you be out here working out this hard? Because without some without some monetary because just being health generally healthy is not uh, compelling enough you know no but that's the American mindset if it's it's always a competitive thing right Right. so in other words doing it for the sake of doing it because you enjoy it that's a concept that a lot of people can't get in their mind they're like how can you enjoy that it looks painful like yeah he's that's well that's what he said he goes he goes oh man you're a glutton for punishment (laughs) and I didn't want to be rude but I was looking at his gut and I was like you're just a glutton buddy you know what the funny thing about that is. You know, you know, there's an old saying, once you're a bodybuilder, you're always a bodybuilder. I haven't competed in, you know, God knows since the 70s, but I cannot help but go in the gym and train hard. It's in my genes. When I go out, I go all out. I, I, I just, I mean, if you looked at me, it looks like I'm training for a contest. I don't talk. I don't play on cell phones. I train like a, <laughs> like a competitor. And every so often people in the gym, this isn't people on the street, people in the gym, would come up to me and say that same, uh, hey, Jerry, are you training for some sort of a master's contest? And I said, my answer is always the same. I have absolutely no interest in competition. I said, I just enjoy training like this. I don't like staying in the gym for 10 hours. I like to train hard, get, you know, train intensely, get the hell out. That's my philosophy. You know, I don't like to sit around and talk. I'm not here to play apps on my cell phone. You know, but they don't, these people can't seem to understand that. They think that's either one way or the other. Either you're, you're, you're just, you know, fooling around or whatever. I mean, they, 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 they just can't understand why somebody. Well, just, just, just working hard. People often assume, okay, you, you must be making a lot of money doing this or you right. think yeah. you're going to make a lot of money doing this. They don't even, that doesn't even cross their mind that you may actually enjoy doing this. Something like that, you know. <laughs> right. Right. That's true. I know the act of doing something and really put, immersing yourself into it because you fully enjoy it. That's a hard concept for a lot of people to get in our culture. Well, I, I have, I have, a, uh, I'll be honest with, you, I have another uh, motivation, at, at, uh, which is this has been my motivation for let's say uh, about twenty, the last twenty years, is a health motivation. Right, right. Uh, it's like uh, I, uh, you know, the, the studies on exercise are just every day. There's another one talking about related to longevity, disease prevention, all that stuff. I happen to have bad genetics for cardiovascular disease and diabetics. In fact, even now I'm pre-diabetic. In other words, every so often, if I eat a lot of carbs or whatever, my blood sugar goes above normal. Do you do you take anything for insulin sensitivity? That's a good segue. Different herbs or anything like that. I do take uh, the drug metformin. I okay, yeah, it. metformin has a lot of anti-aging benefits. Yeah, yeah. In fact, in fact, just just as a tangential statement, I my research on metformin, I would take metformin even if I had no insulin insensitivity. Yeah, yeah, the, the benefits are tremendous. Have you found have you found that you, that actually helps get your blood sugar into an optimal range? Yes, it, without question. At, at what dosage, Jerry? Five hundred milligrams. Take, I've been taking the same dosage for the past fifteen years, which is five hundred milligrams twice a day. Uh, and there's there's a uh, uh, the uh, there's no particular reason why. I guess that you can say the reason is I don't really have an out of control blood glucose problem. Yeah. The highest that it ever gets. If I really, really, really eat badly, which is very rare, I mean, like, uh, I don't go to those buffets anymore. Like, <laughs> you know, all you can eat. But when, if, when I did, let's say I did, 
The next morning when I check my blood glucose, you know, I do it on a resting blood glucose. Sometimes it'll go to 115. Now, diabetes is 126. Right. Have a blood resting blood glucose of 100 or more. You are considered insulin insensitive. Right. There's a lot of mistakes made about blood glucose because if you go to the almost any doctor and your blood glucose is under 100, he will say you're fine. You know, right. you could be you could be 98, 99. They'll say you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> yeah. you know, and really, you want to be around 80, right? Right, right. Yeah. And if he will look, he, he will confirm that by looking at a test called glycosylated hemoglobin, mm, right. a measure of long-term glucose control. You know, But here's the point. What you just said, my, uh, Mike, is very accurate. Had, you, the optimal glucose, which is where a lot of doctors just don't seem to realize that, is not in the 90s. It's the 80s. It's the, it's the low to mid eighties, 80 to 85 is optimal. As soon as you get into the nineties, you're getting a glycosylation effect, meaning there's a, a, a there's a, a, the incorporation of excess glucose into protein structures throughout your body. This is not only causing accelerated aging, it's causing damage to arteries. There's a subtle damage going on. Right. That's very bad. So you want to keep your blood glucose to 80 to 85, but now, this is going to like kind of shock you guys, and it's going to be a little bit depressing. If you're on a high-protein diet and you have a lot of muscle, it's going to be very difficult to keep that blood glucose in that range. In fact, the only way… Is that I, because of gluconeogenesis with the protein? Gluconeogenesis, and also yeah. because of the, of the protein itself, and also because of, of the way muscles use glucose. I, I, don't, I don't do super high protein, yeah, so that, I don't, I'm not worried. Right, right. Well, <laughs> I, do, I, do, I do moderate, so I'm good. <laughs> that, well, I, I've always been fairly conservative when it comes to protein. One gram, like Franco Colombo always told me, one gram per kilo plus 20, 30 grams when you're working out hard. I was like, well, right, shit, right. if that, if that well, worked well, for you guys, man, then exactly. what am I doing taking more? Well, they're actually <laughs> showing that, believe it or not, branched-chain amino acids, which are probably, they call them the muscle amino, the most popular amino you know, if you're already overweight, they actually increase insulin insensitivity. Yeah, yeah, I was reading that too. Overweight, obese people have higher levels of branched-chain amino acids than lean people, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the thing is, the only way a guy with a lot of muscle who's eating a very high protein, much more protein than you just mentioned, but when yeah. I'm high protein, I'm talking about, you know, the 300-gram guys. Yeah, yeah. No danger of that for me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> only way they're going to get their blood glucose in that optimal range of 80 to 85, the only way is to have a a carbohydrate intake of 50 grams or less a day. That's it. Well, this puts a this puts an interesting argument into the whole low carb phenomenon because low carb is always going to be higher protein, right? Right. So even with a high protein, high fat diet, you're still going to have potentially high glucose levels if the protein's too high. That's very true. As yeah. a matter of fact, uh, you know, you know, the ketogenic diet, of course, is is uh, 20 grams of carbohydrate or less. A lot of people don't realize that uh, if you eat a uh, consume a high protein diet. With a ketogenic diet, you're not going to get into ketosis because what's happening is yeah, the, the, all the all the glucose from the protein being converted. Yeah, the, so, the, yeah. the complete lack of carbohydrate is stimulating gluconeogenesis in the liver, converting some of those glucose converting amino acids into glucose. Yeah. So that's going to block your ketogenesis. So for, to get into to do a true ketogenic diet, you have to have a lowish to moderate protein intake. Believe it or not. 
you, I said in one article, you probably don't want to eat more than the suggested amount of protein for the average person, which is 0.8 grams per kilogram. And that's low. Yeah. That's, about, well, that's yeah. about 70, 80 grams a day. Right. Most bodybuilders would recoil in horror. <laughs> they have that per meal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. They have that per meal. But, but hey, buddy. You're not going to get if you think you're going to have ketogenic uh, be, have a ketogenic effect with your 200 300 grams of protein. You're in dreamland, pal. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Yeah, and there's only so much fat you can eat, man. I mean, yeah. well, what else is so you're so you're you're eating a lot of animal protein generally if you're on a ketogenic diet. And then what are you going to do? You're just going to take cups cups worth of MCT oil. Yeah, you're you're gonna, you'll be living. Yeah, you'll be living on. You'll be living on the toilet. But now, now this, this is going to seem kind of like uh, paradoxical, but you, you might say to me at this point, now, wait a minute, if a lot of the protein can be converted into glucose, doesn't, doesn't this mean that the more protein you eat, the higher your glucose level will be? The answer to that is no, because the, the, the early studies about the conversion of protein into glucose, it turns out, were wrong. They were based on faulty mythology. I myself have been guilty of, and I admit it. I admit it. Uh, a no contendry. I'm pleading. I have written articles where I said 57 percent. Uh, I'm sorry. About what was it? I think I said it was about 57 percent of ingested protein uh, is converted into glucose through glutamine. That was completely wrong. It turns out more recent studies show only a very small percentage of protein is turned in, much much less than they thought. And even if you do take in a large amount of protein, you're not going to get a, a big spike in blood glucose. The reason why has to do with the fact that when you eat protein, yes, you're, stimul you're, you're, you're stimulating. Oh, I'm sorry, it has to do with insulin. You know, a lot of the anti-carb people talk about, hey, buddy, you know, Mr. Protein, uh, you know, you Mr. Low Carb. You don't realize when you take in a lot of protein, you're, you know, some of those protein are like leucine. You're stimulating insulin, stupid. So what are you talking about carbs and insulin? Yeah, but they're overlooking one fact when they say that. When you take in protein, yes, some of the amino acids like leucine are stimulating insulin, but you're also stimulating Another hormone from the pancreas called glucagon. Right. Glucagon offsets the insulin effect. So the net effect is nothing, very little effect on insulin with protein. Otherwise, think about it, guys. That would mean that if, if, if a protein really did stimulate massive amounts of insulin, like these critics say, every guy or every person following a high-protein diet would be as fat as a house. They'd look like those guys on the, on the uh, Biggest Loser before. We'd all look like that. So it's inherently wrong to say that. Now, now, now why does it increase glucose, though? Because now I'm, now I'm confused. <laughs> because uh, what, Ed, we just said that too much protein is going to increase glucose because of protein. Okay, okay, so there's a distinction. I'm talking, okay, I'm, okay. I'm talking about uh, – uh, well, I'm talking, I actually confused the word insulin with – you know, a protein does stimulate insulin, and and it, right, and, it makes, right. and, and, it, and shockingly, uh, certain amino acids stimulate as much insulin as eating white sugar. Right, right. But it's not the same effect as white sugar because of the glucagon effect. Glucagon tempers the insulin effect. Right, right. So without the insulin stimulation of lipogenesis, you're not. You know, and again, even I mean, there's a lot of just like we were talking about cortisol. There's a lot of mistakes made about insulin. The notion that insulin itself will make you fat is just not correct. 
It's not correct. In other words, you have to have excess calories coupled with insulin. Right. Or, in other words, whether it's some carbohydrates or whatever, you have to have excess calories. But here we go again with the paradoxical stuff. This stuff can drive you crazy, by the way. Don't try and think too deeply into this stuff. <laughs> so if I do, I start to have to like take uh, some some theanine. To well, so just just backtracking a little bit to metformin. The, the only negative thing that I came across in researching metformin is that I forget the exact context, but there was something about it lowered androgen receptor uptake or had some negative impact on testosterone. Can you clarify anything about that? Okay. Some studies, that that's correct. In fact, honestly, that's one of the reasons why I've stuck to taking only, uh, I've tempted to go to 1,500, you know, so especially when my blood sugar gets out of control, but I've stuck to taking 1,000, 500 twice a day because some studies show that it does interfere with, with uh, testosterone, uh, let's say, uh, well, probably at the level of the androgen receptor, it does have to have some sort of effect. But here's the here's the uh, here's these uh, small print, Mike. That effect begins at a dose of two thousand milligrams and up. Okay, so it'd have to be pretty high. You'd have to be high. Issue. It's so just five hundred twice. Now you do you do five hundred twice a day. That's with two your two of your biggest meals. Right, it's, or, it's, okay. and, and, it, and that does not affect testosterone. Even fifteen hundred won't affect. As soon as you go to two thousand, certain number, not all, but a certain number of individuals. Again, I think a lot of that depends. Yeah, on they, they keep discovering more benefits in metformin too. Oh it, it helps a lot of women with Seriously. avoiding breast cancer. It oh just goes God. on and on and on. Well, you know, it, it has to do. You know, I'm going to write an article on this, but just to put it briefly, it has to do with this uh, other protein called mammalian target of rapamycin, mm. mTOR for short. Right, right. But all of us who are engaged in resistant exercise, when we take in amino acids to gain muscle size. What we're doing is we're taking the amino acids to stimulate this protein called mTOR. mTOR, once it's turned on, initiates a biochemical or enzymatic cascade that results in increased muscle protein synthesis, which in turn leads to muscular hypertrophy, right? So if you want to gain muscle, you definitely want to stimulate mTOR, and you want to keep away from things that block mTOR. What's the thing that blocks mTOR? Another protein called AMPK. How does metformin work? One of the things it does, well, the main, they just discovered the main mechanism. It actually uncouples AT pre production at the level of the mitochondria. Mm. In other words, it works almost like, you know, DNP? Yeah, sure. But it's not nothing like that. I mean, it's not going to cause the effects of, but I mean, in a way, it's kind of similar because it interferes with energy production at its most basic level. As a consequence, because of this, you wind up burning more fat and this and that, blah, blah, blah. But the point is AMPK is also stimulated by metformin. They used to think that was the main mechanism. It's the secondary mechanism. But this stimulation of AMPK is what imparts to metformin all of its health benefits because it puts a break on mTOR. Because mTOR not only does it, it, it stimulates protein synthesis, but it does it in a shotgun manner. It stimulates tumor uh, tumor spread, metastasis. It also stimulates the aging of cells. It does a lot of bad things when it gets out of balance. And, when it, and as you get older, there, there's an imbalance between AMPK and mTOR, where mTOR starts to dominate over AMPK. AMPK drops. 
then with the elevated mTOR, you have an increased risk of many degenerative diseases, heart disease, Alzheimer's disease, cancer. So the thought is, if you could take something like metformin in, in, a, in a safe dosage to balance, to bring up your AMPK, you, you will balance the mTOR. But if you take the metformin strategically, in other words, it will not, and this is a key point, it will not interfere with the mTOR stimulus. In other words, it's not going to mess up your gains and it's not going to mess up your muscle protein synthesis if you take it strategically. In other words, don't take it, for example, right after a workout. You don't want to take metformin then because it'll kick out the AMPK and it might interfere with the mTOR effect that from the amino acids you might have ingested, right? In fact, uh, uh, what was I, I was going to say? Yeah, so no. maybe maybe with dinner then, if, if assuming you don't work out around that time frame, breakfast, yeah. et cetera. Exactly. Meals exactly. that are away from the workouts. Right. It's almost comparable to an article I wrote about concurrent training. You know, that's doing your aerobics after your, uh, you know, with your weight training or in the same workout. I pointed out in the article that, you know, if you separate the workouts by three to six hours, in other words, if you do your weight training, and do your aerobics three to six hours either before or after, there's no interference whatsoever, none, zero. In other words, also, if they, the newer studies show, and this is shocking, they used to think that aerobics, by the way, aerobics is a good way to stimulate AMPK. That's one of the benefits of aerobics because when you do aerobics, you lower, you, you kind of lo rapidly lower your energy stores, and as soon as your, your ATP level in muscle drops, the, the signal is sent out, and AMPK uh, rises to in order to allow your muscles to burn fat, to burn fat, right? But it it turns out that that uh, oh, gee, I lost my train of thought. I have so many things in my mind. See, this is this is a time when you need the uh, modafinil. <laughs> so many things that they're bumping into each other. But the point is that that uh, you know that, that that this study showed that doing aerobics right after the workout. This kind of even shocked me. In fact, it was so shocking. I had already written an article on concurrent training in my applied metabolic. I had to write an update because of this one study. It was like shocking to me. They found that doing aerobics right after the workout stimulated mTOR. Hmm. They, all the textbooks say just the opposite. Yeah. Aerobics block mTOR because they APK, it, but it stimulated mTOR. So for the, some reason, if done after strength training, it's, it's different. Right, right. So, so, but as I point in the article, if for some reason you do find that, I still believe uh, this is my personal bias. When I train my legs, I don't do aerobics afterwards. Yeah. Just for the benefit of the bath, for two reasons. Just in case it turns out there is an interference. And the second reason is more, a very more pragmatic reason. My legs are dead. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, you have to save that energy to walk out to the car. <laughs> Let me tell you, if you can do an aerobics workout after training legs, you haven't trained your legs. No, after, exactly. exactly. after I do squats, I don't generally want to do anything. You exactly. I, I just want to yeah. limp to the car. <laughs> I, hey, listen, I remember training. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger had a tough time training legs. He hated tra le training legs so badly that he used to grab anyone in the original gold gym. Hey, train legs with me. Guys who didn't even know, train legs. He just needed somebody to push him, right? Right. After he would do legs, and he trained legs alone with no other muscle because he couldn't do anything after legs. After legs, Arnold, I don't think they ever photographed this, he'd have to lie on his back for 20 minutes. He couldn't move. He actually couldn't even walk around the gym, right? I mean, that's training legs. Yeah, right. So, 
That's no joke. Well, hey, man, we don't want to keep you on all day. We're definitely going to get you back because there's only we only touched on a few subjects that we wanted to get to. So we'll get you back again if you're if you're available. But Especially that people, green tea discussion too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's an interesting one oh, yeah. for sure. But uh, people can if, if people enjoyed this conversation, which I'm sure you did, check out Applied. What's your website again, Jerry? I sure. thought I had thought I had it right in front of me here. Son of a bitch, I can't remember. No, I'm only <laughs> that's what I was saying. I, was like, well, I thought I wrote it down. This is what happens when you don't take my doff. No, it's yeah. uh, it's a uh, www.appliedmetabolics.com, and like I say, it's a uh, I call it a newsletter, which is kind of a misnomer because, as you said, Mike. It's like 40 to 50 pages a month. Yeah, it's more like an encyclopedia. Yeah, it's all solid research. There's no bullshit. There's no ads. I'm not trying to sell anybody anything other than the, the uh, you know, the education. And I, I cover everything. I mean, I, I cover hormonal therapy, nutrition supplements, uh, ergogenic aids, exercise science. Uh, I, I have a couple of women subscribers. I'm trying to do stuff for them too. You know, so, you know, it, it's basically, it's all written in plain English. I'm not trying to impress people by using terms like p-values like some of these guys do to show you how smart they – you know, that's a bunch of crap. They put in these graphs. I can't even understand the graphs they put. They're, they're, they're just trying to tell you how smart they are. I'm not impressed, and I don't think any intelligent person is. I'm trying to import part information that people can understand and, and, and use practically. That's my goal. Right. Now, Applied Metabolics is great. I'm a subscriber, and I, I, I subscribed maybe a couple weeks ago, and yeah. it, it was, I, I think I spent four hours the first night looking through information you had on there because right. it's just vast and deep. So it's definitely right. something I encourage people to check out. It's only $10 a month. Right. So, I mean, give it a shot for a month or two just to test the waters, and most yeah, likely you're going to want to stick with it. You can test the water, and if you subscribe, you, you can uh, you're also you can also uh, look you, – you can uh, – you have access to the online archive, which is all my previous articles of almost two years now. Yeah. Uh, but I want, you know, that I always want people, you know, <laughs> do it in bits and pieces because, you know, yeah. that's a hell of a lot of reading if I say so myself. I mean, uh, you know. And make sure you allocate some time to devote yeah. to it because you're not going to go on there for a few minutes and then leave. You're going to be stuck on there because it's a lot of intriguing information. Oh, yeah. And by the way, for the short attention span, a couple of people gave me suggestions. They said, why don't you put a summary? You know, like a one box summary of each article. So, like two or three issues ago, I started doing that. At the end of each article, I have like a one or two paragraph summary of the main points of the entire article. So, if you want to know just the main points and you're in a big hurry, you know, you could read that in about what, what, twenty seconds? Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good. That's a good addition. Yeah. So. Well, great, man. Great having you on. Definitely check out AppliedMetabolics.com, and we look forward to having you back again. You also have a great YouTube channel as well. Yeah. I appreciate it. It was great, great talking to you guys. You're both great guys. Really enjoyed this discussion. Thanks a lot, Jerry. Appreciate, appreciate it, man. Yeah, I'd love to have you back soon. Okay. Take All right, you take care. You too. Bye bye. Bye. All right, folks. I'm all talked out. So <laughs> at this point, use that coupon code LLA. Go to MikeMahler.com. Go buy a crap load of products. Go buy, some, go invest yourself in some educational products too, or you can go fuck yourself. How about that? <laughs> just want to give you some options just in case. <laughs> you can support the show. There's or, always that. Yeah, you, you can either support the show or you can go fuck yourself. So, I mean, if you don't feel like supporting the show, that is another option. You know? <laughs> and how about you, man? Same thing, man. Go to newwarriortraining.com. Do the same thing. Use that coupon code LLA. And also head over to patreon.com slash LLA podcast. Support us that way as well. And last but not least, go wherever you listen to this podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, rate us, review us. And just say, like, hey, 
I'm not going to fuck myself. I'm going to leave this review. <laughs> so it's a lot I'm less up, painful. I'm fed up of not seeing new reviews, too. We've got thousands of people every episode, and we're stuck at like 197 for like perpetuity on iTunes. Somebody go over there and leave a review. Let's get to 200. It's just ir- three of irritates three me of know, right now. Three away. We're three away from 200, and then the ticker's not moving. And I, I, and I know people are listening to the show because I see the stats every week. Right? Right. I know we have more than three people listening to each episode, so three of you go over there and leave a review on iTunes and then Stitcher, same thing. Look, man, you don't get to almost one million downloads with no one listening to your show. Okay, so... Come on, man. One million downloads and 197 reviews. Let's fix that. That math doesn't add up. Yeah, I mean, it's the least you can do, especially for those of you that have never supported us at all. You've never donated anything. You've never bought a product from either one of us. You're just listening to each episode month after month, year after year, soaking in all the great info. The least you can do is go leave that review on iTunes and Stitcher. Hey, man. Karma is good, Tomorrow, especially when it's good karma. We give you good information. Give us a good review. All right. (laughs) So anyway, folks, that's going to wrap it up for this week. Until the next time around, we'll catch everybody next time. Take care. All right. Take care, everyone.